0: The Late Morning Program with Namras Podcast.
1: Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the Late Morning Program with Namras the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here with a dear friend, Bhutabhavana Prabhu. Prabhu, thank you so much for
0: joining me. Hi, great to see you.
1: Yes, great to see you. Thank you so much for joining me. And so for those of you who don't know, Bhutabhavana Prabhu is a wonderful devotee from the UK, uh, and he has so much to share regarding uh, Krishna consciousness, applying Krishna consciousness, practically um, the teachings of uh, his teacher, Srila uh, Bhakti Tirta Swami, uh, whose Vyasa Puja is around this time, so we'll be talking about that as well. But first of all, I'd like to ask Prabhu, if you could kind of uh, really briefly kind of tell us how you got in contact with uh, devotees.
0: Okay, yeah, so um, first of all, it's great to be here with you, and um, thank you for reaching out. Um, In terms of how I came to Krishna Consciousness, (laughs) that's a long story, but I'll just give you the approach version. So I was always into meditation. I, I started meditating when I was about 13 years old, um, not necessarily for a spiritual reason, actually. It was just more about the mind and accessing more of, you know, more potential. But I remember there was always, somehow other, I was always being um, drawn towards religious understanding or metaphysical understanding or spiritual understanding. And so when I was at university, I was studying philosophy and economics at the London School of Economics. So in my second year, that's when I met the devotees. So I was already engaged in different meditation practices. I mean, I tried all kinds of things, fur meditation, you know, candle gazing, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but what was interesting, I read this book. It wasn't a devotee book, but it was a story about a young man who meets a guru. And it's actually the book, it was made into a, a Hollywood film at one point. Anyway, the story, in the story, it said it was based on a true story. So, the young man meets a guru, and the guru basically points out to him that you're not happy, there's more to life, etc. And I remember thinking when I read the book, if this is real, if people can, have, can go on this kind of spiritual journey and you know realize themselves, I want to have that experience. And then we were in central London, actually. I was there with my younger brother, Arnold, and someone gave him a book, first of all, actually, and he wasn't into reading. I thought, okay, I'm really looking at this kind of stuff. I'll read it. And I remember when I, when I read the book, I can't. Remember. I think it was Path of Perfection, or it would have been Nectar of Instruction. I thought, oh no, if this is real, I need to change. <laughs> but um, but I thought, okay, I'm not going to actually join this stuff. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. So I used to go to the temple and do my own meditation as well in the temple room, I, like just closed eye meditation. But what I found was there were so many. I had so many experiences, even just coming there, and it became very obvious that actually this this teaching is real it wasn't just a philosophy It wasn't just a belief and because i studied philosophy i was studying philosophy at the time actually we were taught to be very logical and very rigorous with any philosophy so i was i was scrutinizing it it made sense i was having certain experiences so that was really clear so it just became really clear that if if you're going to be true to yourself then you know this is real you know it makes sense so it's a direction to go into, and in a sense, I was also searching for something higher. But I didn't think Krishna consciousness was going to be that, and um, thing that I was searching for. So yeah,
1: right. And then tell us about um, kind of the first time you saw Bhakti Swami, your interaction with him.
0: <laughs> so, so I, I used to go to the well when I at that time I still go actually. But um, the first temple I went to, how I came to Krishna consciousness is as I was getting books on the street and so on. I went to the ISKCON London temple and at that time the, the mood was a little bit hardcore right it's like you don't surrender to Krishna you're gonna go to hell you know that kind of thing so one time a friend of mine Dina Krishna um, Bhakti Tirtamaraj was coming to to London I was 97 or 98 and Dina Krishna told me you know and I didn't you know it's fine it wasn't a big deal to me but um what happened was that's before I hadn't met him but when I went there it was a very interesting experience because I was used to all this hardcore preaching and then he was speaking and he was in the temple room and he's smiling, he's joking, he had a hat on. And, and I thought, mm, it doesn't seem very serious, this person. <laughs> <laughs> because it, was, because I was, it wasn't the kind of hardcore kind of preaching I'd been used to. But I, I knew I had the connection with him because, I, because certain experiences came through. What happened was. I had this idea before I met him, I thought someone should write a book. So I was going to these metaphysical societies in London, in, in Brixton, and they had these uh, meetings and they would, they, there would be two people and they'd stand and they'd have like um, a flip chart. And they talk about metaphysical things and sociological things and they try to connect it to so-called higher, higher understanding. And I remember thinking, I thought someone should write a book. And they should actually talk about all these things and connect it to like this Krishna consciousness. And then I saw this book, Spiritual Warrior, and I thought, someone's stolen my idea. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's stolen my idea. And then it happened again, actually. There was um, a book I read before I became a devotee. or It was actually before I became a devotee. It's by a humanist. And his name is Eric Fromm, F-R-O-M-M. And the book is called The Art of Loving. And in the book, he talks about real love and, you know, false, you know, false ideas of love and so on. And again, the idea thought I thought, you know what, it will be a really good book to write is a book about how what they call love in society is not real love and and differentiate that. And then the, later on, I saw Spiritual Warrior 2 transforming lust into love. Right. So I, remember, I realized that there's some, con- I felt I had this, there's some connection. And at the time, we were also doing a lot of service to Tamal Raj, who also is a dearly beloved um you know, um, guru of mine as well. Anyway, so, yeah, it, it just became more and more obvious. And then Marge came in 1998. He did like a tour in the UK, he did different classes. And I got to spend a lot of time with him. And that's when I really cemented um, the connection. So I saw him first when he came to the manor. It was an open day at Bhaktadanta Manor. Um, Dina Krishna took me down there. um But over time, it became more and more obvious that there's a connection with this person. Mm. So, I mean,
1: I, I I like the um, the first, one of the first books that I got uh, of his, and I was really young, and I remember it was that leadership book. It has that lotus on the front. Yeah. yeah. So so I got that book. I I, t- I was begging my dad. I want this book. So I was like maybe I was maybe ten or something, and I brought it to Maharajas at New York Rathiatra and had me uh, he he autographed it for me, and he's wow. like, "Are you going to read this?" Because I was a kid. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to read it." Anyways, like. That that book really interested me, so I kind of want to talk about a little bit of the about, about those kind of principles of leadership according to Maharaj's way that he expressed that. So, what would you say are kind of like the main points there in regards to leadership? How Bhakti Tirta Maharaj would express it?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about this topic a lot because in my day to day job, so I work for a, an investment bank and we actually train leaders. So that's my like full-time occupation oh, and wow. it's interesting because even in that sense a lot of the stuff that we deliver is obviously from research background you know the latest cutting edge stuff out there but when I look at the principles of leadership from the leadership books it's still like years ahead because what I, what I really appreciate within Krishna consciousness is that because Krishna is the source of everything he's also the source of leadership relationships you know m- most times in other religions it's like God is the source of the material world. And then all the kind of cultural and social things are man-made. Mm. Our theology is different, but the material world is a, is a perverted reflection. So in Dwaraka, Krishna is eternally a king, you know, like that. And so you have this idea. So in, in his leadership books, there's a lot of information about the role of a leader and how the leader makes the age. And I think about this a lot in, in terms of the modern sociological context, because you can see, there's a real crisis in leadership across the entire world, across communities, organizations, etc. And one of the reasons why also we have a society where there's increasing um, distress mentally is to do with a failure of leadership. Because we know from our tr- tradition that leadership means protection. So what happens, I, I'm, I'm always thinking about these different frameworks in our scriptures, right? So Sambanda, Abhideya and Prayojana. So for example, when we talk about leadership, the abideya or the activity is protection, but it's protection to achieve an outcome. The outcome is security. So if you if you protect people properly, then the population, the community, they feel secure and therefore they can be at their best. So oftentimes many books on leadership in the secular world, these subtle connections aren't made, right? So it's often about leaders leaders being able to, I don't know, influence people or being able to get people to, to go along with your plan, or being able to manage people, but it doesn't get to the heart of it. And so in the Leadership for an Age of Higher Consciousness 2 book, the first part is Dev's instructions to Yudhisthira. And it, it's so incredible because these are statements from the Mahabharata, Dev's on the bed of arrows. One of the things that he mentions is that the king is primarily a man of action. And that first thing, there's so much there because it's like a sutra. That means that real leadership is proactive. It's not pulling out fires. It's not just dealing with one emergency. That's more management. But leadership means that there's a vision. There's a vision that includes people. There's a vision that that is protective of people, both spiritually, um, mentally, emotionally, physically. And there's an ability to inspire people to go along with that vision because that vision is for their ultimate well being. It's not a trick, it's not like, okay. I have a vision it's just going to make me money but i'm gonna i know how to charm everyone else so that they will go along with the vision to make me money but rather the vision is inherently about how will how can i help people to be at their best and to grow and then in that way we all come together for that vision the other thing that that really strikes me about the instructions in our scriptures and the example of Prabhupada, who's just a phenomenal leader Mm. is that when leadership is real and deep not just superficial then people feel valued I mean the number of times I've been watching memories of Prabhupada and and they just so many of the Prabhupada disciples they're talking about how Prabhupada you felt this great sense of love great sense of appreciation from Prabhupada and that's why they were ready to sacrifice and go the extra mile it's not a technique it's not it's not you know say this or say that it comes from a much deeper place you have to really love those people and you have to really care about those people. And if you have that as your mentality, then it it spills over, right? You don't have to remember to say that, that, that one sentence that's gonna get them on side. You don't have to remember to do this trick or this little technique. If you feel that genuinely, it, people can feel that it, it spills over and, and people can pick it up both consciously because they see that in terms of what you say, but there's all kinds of subconscious communication between ourselves and another person that you can't game it. Right? So if you really, if someone really cares about you, the way they speak, subtle body language, they call them micro expressions. People just pick them up on a, on an unconscious level as well as on a conscious level. And then they know, okay, this person genuinely has my best interests at heart. Therefore, I can safely give everything knowing that I'm not going to be exploited.
1: In your in your corporate kind of, in your job, uh, isn't the, the idea it, to make leaders who can help the, basically make more money, be more productive, less people leaving, things like that. So how do you, uh, do you, do you, do you kind of put these other principles that we've understood from the spiritual side do you add those into your what you're teaching corporate people because that doesn't I mean I know there's the core, you said the core of the 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 issue is the you know that people need to feel uh you know that they're protected that they they feel secure and things like that mm-hmm. so does that also apply to like a corporate setting
0: Yeah the the, the short answer is yes so what happens is that when people when people feel protected, they can be at their best. It doesn't matter what you want. If people don't feel secure and protected, they cannot be at their best. When I, when I went for this role, I had four interviews. And one of the interviews was with the global head of talent. And I challenged him because in, in, the, um, in the advertising, and I'm always skeptical about stuff like this, it talked about servant leadership. And I thought, really? <laughs> really? Servant leadership, you guys? Mm, I don't believe it so when I spoke to the um our global head of talent he's retired now he's a very good good person though and I asked him I said look this is what you've actually put in the literature and in the advertising do you guys actually really believe in this stuff and he actually said to me he said look the truth of the matter is the head of the company definitely believes in it he's pushing he said look I'm not going to lie to you it's not that everyone in the organization has fully imbibed it, but that's the direction that we're going in. That's the culture we're trying to create. So what they've understood, what they've understood really well is that, let's say, for example, financial services. There's huge competition. Everyone, No one wants to work for a bank now. They want to work for a tech firm. They want to work for Apple, Amazon, you know, whatever. And they, are very, they understand very, and these banks understand very clearly, if we don't have the right culture, People think, you know what, why do I need to work for you guys when I could go somewhere else and have a much better experience? Right. Now, of course, we can we can draw some parallels. Not that it's about business and it's about productivity alone, but we do want to be productive for Prabhupada. We do want to offer the best of Prabhupada. But moreover, the root of it is if people are led properly, protected properly, cared for properly, inspired properly, you get all these other things as a side effect. And one of the things that Bhakti Tita talks about in the Leadership 2 book, he begins with this point that it's not about using people to do things. But actually, it's about doing things in a way that's ultimately people-centered. It's about the growth of the individuals, the community, their ability to develop their own Krishna consciousness, and their ability to flourish in being able to authentically share that in a deep, meaningful, and powerful way with the entire world. So it's a different paradigm to the business community. But because, because leadership is an eternal principle, anything that works, you can find it traces back to the scriptures eventually. So
1: it's it's so it's so you're saying it's a people it should be a people-centered thing as opposed to a project or productivity-centered. Yes.
0: Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have projects. It doesn't mean that we don't also hold hold people to account. It doesn't mean that we don't have standards. But the point is. If people, are, if people are dealt with properly, right, not sentimentally. Sometimes people think that, you know, people-centered means that you just let people do whatever they want. That's not good for people, right? So it doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries and healthy standards. No, both things have to be there, but we're doing it for the ultimate good of the individuals now and the individuals that these individuals will reach out to. And we, we know this. We've seen this in communities. Some of the best ISKCON communities we have, we know that when the people are happy, you don't even need to say anything. People come there, they can see. whoa, hold on, these people are are genuinely happy, they've got great relationships, they're cooperating together really nicely, and of course, there will always be some degree of politics, because that's human, right? But it's minimized. Uh I've seen sometimes in our communities, we get more of what we recognize. If If we have a community where we only recognize external outcomes, then what about those people who are sincerely serving, and they just may not be so externally productive? It doesn't mean that they're not actually fueling the entire project because it's the devotion and the blessings which really cause everything to happen. So sometimes we look at things on a more operational level and there's a place for that. But it's one piece of the the equation. It's not the whole story. Mm. And I think a lot more productivity would come. I think we'd have a lot more abundance in terms of outreach and a lot deeper experience of Krishna consciousness. If we were able to do it in such a way that, while getting the outcomes that we need to get, we actually really had a more people-oriented approach in how we do things.
1: When you said when you enter a community that has like good leadership, you can feel it with wherever. What 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 is it about? Like, how does that leadership, like from the person at the top or the people at the top, how does that trickle down to like the the the, the normal back to Joe?
0: Yeah, there's there's so many things, right. I feel, I, I often, my heart goes out to many people who take on leadership positions in any community or institution. Totally. Because, I was
1: just going to say, I was just going to say that it's so easy to criticize. Like we can, like yeah. I personally, it's so easy to criticize. Like I'm not a leader. I'm a leader of my own family, but I'm not a leader of a community or anything. Yeah. So it's very easy to say, oh yeah, we need to do this. We need to do that. Sorry to interrupt yeah, you. But no,
0: I, no, I agree with you. See, the first thing is, if we want to help a situation, just like think of it this way, right? If, if you're in the position of leadership and all people, come to, all people do is come to you and complain about what you're doing, tell you all a bad job you're doing, then it's like, dude, really? Like, help? Like, come, come on, like, do you, know I'm, I'm, do you know how stressed I am? You know? So I don't think that's productive. I think the first thing is that we need to make sure that we build relationship with leaders. And I mean by that the whole community, it's not just I'm a victim and these, these leaders are bad and that's the end of the story. No, no, what role can I play to make the situation better? right and I think it's also about making sure that we create an environment where the leaders also if they haven't already they get training that the leaders have their leaders right for me one of the one of the one of the immediate red flags or bad signs is someone's in a position of leadership and they have no one above them they've got no no advisors no authorities no coaches no one that they can go to so it's like okay you're taking all this responsibility on. You're going to get blamed if things go badly, right? If things go well, you probably aren't going to get much of the appreciation anyway. Mm. And you've got no one else that you can turn to or go to. So immediately, that's a that's a bad sign. Yeah. So the leaders also, they need, they need appreciation. They need respect. They need some compassion. And so I'm also very conscious of what we do to other people is what we're going to have happen to us. So it's it's so obvious to me. I sometimes see the devotees like, okay, you're just shooting down the leaders. Great, give it some time. What Christian will do? He'll put you in the position of leadership, and you'll be shot down the same way that you're shooting down other people. And you and you don't you don't mind doing it to them. Fine, okay. It's gonna happen to you at some point. Right. I, I think that's a, it's it's like a curse. It's like we're cursing ourselves. So I think with leadership, they need to have a a, a structure around them. That can support them in their success. And, and it should be set up before they get in. So, for example, reg, a commitment to regular training, a commitment that you have authorities, a commitment to feedback. It's not just, you know, I'm, a, I'm in charge, I don't need to listen. No, no. If you can't hear from anyone, you can't lead, right? It's very clear that the best, the, the best follower can make the best leader. If you can't follow, then you shouldn't be, you can't lead, mm. right? Because if you can't follow, if you can't respect seniority, why should anyone respect your seniority? Yeah. Yeah. So back to yeah.
1: the back to that question about how does it trickle down yeah. to the normal person.
0: Yeah. So what happens is when that structure's in place, then it helps the leader to actually have some resilience. For example. They'll be less, they'll be more able to manage stress because they've got other people around them and above them that they can speak to. They can get things off their chest. They can talk about what's going well, they can talk about what's not going so well. So he has or she has their own safety valve around them. And, and it's it's again, it's a mirror of what we see in the in the whole um spiritual system of our Nashram. So let's say you have the Kshatriya leader, they have Brahmins, they have advisors, they have ministers, and so. Even the reflection in the modern world is many leaders, they have coaches, and I see this every day, leaders, they have mentors, coaches, advisors, all kinds of stuff like that. And it makes a huge difference. So Mm. if the leader's looking after him or herself, that will trickle down. If the leader's not looking after him or herself, they will have less and less capacity to do anything for other people. And we know this. Think back to the time where maybe a time where we've been stressed out. What capacity do you have? That The next time someone says something, you may be snappy or moody because your own capacity is now minimized. Therefore, you have less to give. So I'm a very firm believer that we can give what we have. So in order to keep that that that, that cycle going, we have to be constantly receiving ourselves so that we have something that we can constantly give to those that we are trying to lead and trying to serve.
1: I feel that point is really important that... Leaders should have someone above them, or some coach, or something like that. When we don't see that, I mean, when we don't see that, even in our own society, it seems that it's like, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but like, there is there is devotees at the top that really don't, you know, they're they're very senior in their in the way they've been sp- in spiritual life for a long time and all. When we see that, when 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 that is not there, uh, how can we? How can we try to change something like that? Like try to give some advice regarding, okay, maybe we should have, that. you know, these regular training and this and that.
0: Yeah, I I have great faith that things can always improve, especially with the next generation. I'll be, to be very, very honest, because I think that there's huge opportunity for our movement and our communities to be, I mean, so much stronger uh, and more, What's the word I'm looking for? More deep. So people are more fixed in, in the sense of Krishna consciousness, where they feel supported, but they also feel inspired to be that for other people. See, in terms of actually doing that for specific leaders, the first thing is relationship. Right. If the leader feels that they're always being attacked, all they're going to do is, unless they're an exception to the rule, the first thing is that they become defensive. And then it's kind of like, okay, now they're not gonna hear from anyone because they think everyone's just trying to tell them what to do and everyone's attacking them. So I think the first thing is to build relationship. I think the second thing is to be an example, right? Mm-hmm. To be an example. And by that, I don't mean blind following. An example means, okay, let me try and be as good a devotee as I can be, right? I mean, we were talking just before um, you started filming. Let me try to help, help have a healthy balance of my own responsibilities in my life, right? Let me try and accept the example by doing what I'm meant to be doing and doing that as best as possible in Krishna consciousness. What I found is that whenever devotees do that, no matter what their position in the community, it has a certain power. I'm a firm believer that it's not one size fits all. So sometimes impersonalism can creep up in our movement because it's like, okay, this devotee is doing this. And then everyone thinks, okay, we have to all do the same thing. No, no. The the power of the devotee is this devotee is doing what he or she is meant to be doing in Krishna consciousness. So then we should copy the principle, right? So let's say this person is, I don't know, they're they're, they're, they're gaining resources for ISKCON. They're, They're gaining more and more resources, buildings, property, whatever, okay? They're good at that, great. That doesn't mean that everyone else has to now gain resources for ISKCON. It's like, okay, the principle is they're doing what they're meant to be doing. Okay, now, if I copy that, what am I meant to be doing? Okay, maybe my thing is I'm meant to be teaching and training, right? So then do that to the best of our ability. And then you get this synergistic effect where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts because everyone is doing what they're meant to be doing. And there'll be a natural crossover. There'll be natural, okay, we're gonna work together on this, we're going to be working together on something else. But the point is that we're doing what we're meant to be doing. Right. You sometimes see devotees because what happens is sometimes a particular thing is given lots of attention and, 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 and um, recognition. And so I've I've watched carefully in our communities, and I often see that then what will happen is other devotees will think, okay, I don't feel valued. In order to feel valued, i need to copy what this person is doing because he or she's getting a round of applause and getting all the respect and attention now it can work if that person who's copying is also meant to be doing the same activity but if not it just goes it can go a little bit awry and i've Mm -hmm. seen that also right so it's not it's not one size fits all we're we're personalists Right. right everyone has unique talents strengths skills Everyone's at different stages on our spiritual journey, so it requires that, along with cooperation. So it's not just one thing; it's both, both and.
1: So, so I guess the next question would be: Are leaders? Um, is it is it something inherent? Like, is it that is it that someone is a natural leader, or is it something that's learned? Because, uh, it, you know, it can be that someone. You know, sometimes in ISKON, it's like. It's like if you're the you're just like the warm body that's there and like okay you're the leader you're the one you know you got it and and so sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't so maybe that some that is someone's calling and someone's meant to be in that position but sometimes it isn't
0: right yeah so we have to do the best we can given whatever resources we have available so we we know in our theology that there is reincarnation right there are people who have A natural tendency to take charge there are people who've probably been leaders in in previous lives and so they come in and they've got that and it's already kind of running in the background Mm -hmm. so that's one point at the same time we also know that we can also we can also refine whatever skill set we have through training and even if someone has a raw talent for leadership it should still be refined by training by learning because otherwise what you're saying is this person is going to experiment on the community, right? He <laughs> going to, you know, I just kind of shout at people and, you know, just do whatever I want, blow people out and it's okay. I'll, I'll get there eventually. It's like, really, is that the, is that the best we can actually do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, why, why put them in that situation? I get it. If we have no choice, that would make sense to me. If someone says to me, there's no other option, there's no choice. Okay. No problem. But if there's something that can be done, it's like, why would you, why would you not do the best that you can for the community? That's yeah. my point. Yeah. I,
1: I want to talk a little bit about it, the leaders like in Krishna consciousness in regards to like, uh, what is like, you were saying there are some red flags that one red flag you said, could you, could you explain a little bit more about the red flags and then as well as like the characteristics of a good leader it, directly in relation with, um, Krishna consciousness communities? Mm-hmm.
0: So one of the things that Bhakti Tirtamar writes about, actually, I think it's in the Leadership 2 book. He says someone who's too eager to be in charge and in, and in control of everything, that's a bad sign, <laughs> right? Because often it's a power play. It's like, I just want everyone to do what I want. Right. It's a very interesting... One of the things that's really is really drawing tremendous enthusiasm for me in my spiritual life over these last few years is trying to go deeper into the scriptures and understand the underlying concepts or the underlying principles so for example if someone is a leader one of the good one of the signs of healthy leadership is that the leader will will be taking direction will be giving direction but he or she along with giving direction they are centered on the people that they're directing right so it's like this okay, you're the leader, you have the control, but it's all about the people that you're leading. Where leadership can go really badly, toxic, is where the leader has all the control and it's all about them, right? So then everyone just, because then the leader's self-centered and it's all about using people for the leader's own self-aggrandizement, for their own leader's own resources, for the leader's own you know, prestige, for whatever, you know, it just becomes manipulative and exploitative. So basically, it, it's like when this. When it's
1: about the people, what, is that, what does that mean exactly? What yeah, does that look like? The
0: leader gives direction in the community for things and projects and for initiatives which will help the people in that community to grow and prosper. So it's not directing the community to just give to the leader so that he or she can, you know, just gain more prestige and resources while the the community is struggling and suffering. But rather, the leader's meditation is, this is my community. First of all, the leader should know the community. In Bishunday's instructions to Yudhisthira, one of the things he says is that the king should know their dependents like a mother knows her children and should care for them accordingly. Wow. Yes, it's a very powerful point. And we see that. So basically, it's it's a family model. So the leader is like a parental position. You're like the father or mother of the community. And the people that you're looking after, they're like your own children. So just in the same way that you wouldn't, hopefully, Scali Hugo is a bit crazy, but hopefully, one would naturally care for, nurture, and be focused on the ultimate well-being and the growth and development of one's own children. So the leader is meant to see the community in that same light. It's your own children, right? So now in that in that perspective, from that perspective, what do they need? And at the same time, the leader has to keep themselves in good shape so that it doesn't become fruitive. It's just like, you know, um, you go to a temple, it's lunchtime, they're about to serve the prashad, you're starving, you haven't eaten anything, and you're scared that there's not going to be enough prashadam to go around. So even though you want to give, there's a tendency to become a bit fruitive, You know, you can't take so much prashadam. You're giving people as little as possible because you're thinking about, you know, I'm I'm going to starve. So the idea is that the leader is looking after him or herself at the same time. And because they're, they're regularly getting what they need, therefore it's easier for them to give selflessly to the community that they're serving because they're not they're not in, in a state of um what's the word I'm looking for? They're not in a state of scarcity themselves. Right? So yeah. sometimes we also have a mode leaders. or something. Yeah exactly. We sometimes have leaders and there's a misunderstanding about sacrifice. But you can see it's not sacrifice now. Now it's over endeavor and now it's burnout. So yeah, like that. And
1: as far as um like characteristics of that I mean, you did mention some, but anything else in regards to uh, a what a good leader would look like?
0: Yeah. So a good leader also, th- this is mentioned, there's a chapter called Sex and the Leadership Crisis. It's in it's in Warrior too. And in that first chapter, one of the things, and I, I remember when I first read it, it really struck me. Bhakti much said that no one can be a leader with all the intensity it entails without regular periods of rest and renewal. Yeah. So... When, when we're in the mode of passion, it's just action, 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 action. And you know, eventually they're just gonna burn out and they're gonna burn other people out in the process. But leadership on a higher level is more rhythmic. It's more the mode of goodness. So it's activity and then recharge, renewal and review. So now when in the downtime, I'm assimilating what's been going on. I'm reflecting Oh, how did that go? You know, how the devil is doing? Okay, that was good. That could be improved. So then the next time I act again, It's another upswing of activity, but now, in addition to that, I've got all the wisdom accumulated from the previous activity that we can bring in to make something improve. And so it's that regular cycle. And then the other thing is when leaders, another sign of a good leader is that he or she has a balanced ego. I've seen leaders who, because they're insecure, they just want to undermine people behind their back. And so what you have eventually... Is that the person gets you know is now lonely because anyone competent is just thinking dude i just don't even want to work with you because you know you're just insecure so any anytime people say anything that's a good idea because you haven't worked on yourself sufficiently you now feel threatened so therefore you need now play politics behind this person's back to try and shut them down right so it's not really a leader it's a misleader mm. so leaders also need to be working on themselves constantly good suddener, good reading, good association, so that we don't then feel threatened and triggered when we see other people coming up who've got potential, right? And then we can actually nurture and bring those people up rather than feel threatened by them. And now we have to kind of play politics and try and shoot them down behind the scenes.
1: Something I noticed about good leaders was that like, in, especially in Krishna conscious communities is that like, you don't see them. It's like, they've created such a community. Like they don't like, they're not even a part of it anymore. They can go do other things or be in the back, really in the background and, and things run themselves. They, they, they actually give birth to um, more leaders. Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Bhakti Tidhamaya speaks about that a lot. So that's a lot to do with nurturing other people and it's a lot to do with, with understanding, and this is a deep truth, that actually the more that we help others to be at their best, you automatically benefit from that, you gain, right? So this idea that is it's a scarcity mentality that it, it, I, mean, I have to be the person in charge, it has to be me and no one else, but actually if I help other people to rise and to be at their best, the blessings will come to me even more because I'm now also uplifting other people in the process. So, again, it comes back to the leader being ready to do that work on themselves. It comes back to the leader being able to be introspective, to recognize, oh, you know what? I felt threatened when that happened, right? And having good relationships before they go into positions of leadership, right? Not, not suddenly now you're in the leader. Now suddenly, you know, you have to some, somehow build some friendships. That should be there before they go in. And there should already have been a bond of trust so that they can open their minds and hearts and be be open with their close associates who are trustworthy about things which are going well and also things that they see that they're not doing so well or challenges that are coming up within their heart. You know, what's, what's interesting, what's coming up, it's a slightly different thing. But in the um, in the Bhagavatam, Bharat Maharaj, it's ex- one of the reasons given for his fall down is that when he started to become attached to the deer, he didn't actually go and get some guidance. He didn't speak to, you know, seniors, gurus about it. So it's this idea that often, and I've seen this in my own life, Krishna's so kind. He can give you a heads up when things are tiny. It's like, dude, just a, just a heads up. Be careful about this. But if we don't listen, then what happens is it, gets, it becomes more and more intense. And then you're in a position where you're forced to have to deal with it. But it's like, if you're honest, it's like, well, actually, it did blip on the radar quite a while back, but we ignored the signs. So yeah, it's it's that kind of understanding. And then the leader has to be realistic because otherwise the leader gets gets to burn Okay, you're gonna do this project. How much resource do you need to actually get this done? Be realistic about it. Don't try and think, okay, we've got five people, we can do the whole thing ourselves when that project actually requires 15 people. Okay. And if you only got five people, okay, maybe do the same project, but have a greater timeline. So be realistic because that way it's consistent and it's balanced. But if the leadership goes into lower modes, then it's unrealistic and then it will cause some fallout at some point in time. Yeah.
1: Uh, In now going back to his holiness, Bhakti swami, did you notice or did you hear from other devotees or even yeah notice yourself the way he led? I'd like to know a little bit about him being a leader.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So when I, 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 I tried to observe my spiritual master in many different situations. I'll give you an example. We were in Gita Nagari, and there was one devotee who was born in the movement, and he was going through some difficulty, I think some difficulties with his mind, something in his life. And I was I was Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj's servant at the time. And one day he just said, he he, he actually um, told me to ask Bali Maharaj, his, um, a God brother of mine, Bike ride, and I know why he did it because he actually told me the whole thing was just to ins- encourage and inspire this young devotee who was going through some difficulty in his life.
1: One second, you cut off a little bit; it froze. Uh, you said, "You said Bali Maharaj," and then I didn't hear what happened after that.
0: Sure. So what happened was we, this was two thousand and four. There was a devotee, young devotee, born in the movement, who was going through some challenging times. And so Bhakti Tirtha told me to contact my godbrother Bali Maharaj. Right. And and get where they, I don't know where they stored them. But they had all these bikes, you know. Oh, okay. And then we actually arranged a community bike ride, and it was just to inspire this one devotee who was going through some challenge in his <laughs> personal life. And so we really saw this sense a deep a deep care for people. Someone who's a real deep lover of people, and also sensitive to their needs and their challenges as well, you know. And and I think that model. Was really powerful. I was actually I spoke to Creeper Moya. It was a while ago, so he was telling me that the um, he was doing he's doing some research, and what he's doing is he's looking at different outreach projects which are successful, and I think the idea behind it is to try to understand what are the elements that make it successful. Right. I was telling Creeper Moya, for me, what I see consistently as a sutra is that if the projects, if the outreach, if it's done according to the needs of the audience. Right. And uh, so the nature of the audience and the nature of the situation, it always works. For example, in my in my youth in Krishna consciousness, it was, it was just fantastic. And why? Because what does a young person need in Krishna consciousness? They need to have fun experiences. They need to bond with peers. They need to get to know themselves. They need adventure. Right. They need to, they need to um, learn about life, etc. So if you give them Krishna consciousness in that way that ticks those human needs, then what happens is they, they really deeply imbibe Krishna consciousness. It's a positive experience. It leaves a deep and positive samskar, right, impression in their mind. And then they naturally elevate to the next level. If you then look at, okay, we have grahasthas in our movement. What do they need? Okay, they want to come to the program, but like they've got children. Right. So maybe we should have some facility where they can come in and sit down and their kids are going to have some stimulating, positive experiences and the parents get a break and they get to focus. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we don't. But, but that requires us to have the mentality where we're not so much self-absorbed, that we can actually notice what's happening with our community, notice where people are and just meditate. OK, wh- where are they struggling? Right what's going on in their life at this time? It's not where do I want them to be? no, where are they in reality, and what do they need right now that we can give? I mean, look, let's be very clear, everyone's got limited resources. I'm not saying we can do we can be everything for everyone, okay, but what can we do and so i this came also when I had a conversation with one devotee, and they told me they were born in the movement, and they told me that they were forced to practice Krishna consciousness and I think one of them. They, as a punishment they had to chant if they did something wrong right. they, they had to come to morning program and it's like if you're a young kid that morning program isn't for you you know it's just going to go over your head and, and you want to play it and like you're forced to just sit down there and be quiet and it's like it doesn't work so if we do it according to the nature of the person or the pe the group and and, and what their needs are it's it's just a no-brainer and of course that doesn't mean that doesn't preclude the other things right purity should be there devotional activities should be there. But we, we have a tailored program according to where that particular group are and what they need on a human level. And we connect that to transcendence. And then I've seen it consistently work. I was speaking to um, one devotee and he was telling me about the, uh, the, the bus tour. And he said, that's the thing that really switched him onto Christian consciousness, even though he was born in the movement, but when he went on the bus tour, he had all these amazing positive experiences, bonding, adventure, exploration, fun. Yeah, you're sold, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I guess piggyback on, on that same point that we have to, you know, what can we, we have to give people things where they are. But, yes. it, but but people come with so many different phases in their life. There's like this whole spectrum of things. So how do you tailor it to, to people? They can be in such so different places.
0: Absolutely. So. Yeah, there are so many things, but it's not that all of them are equally significant, right? Some Mm -hmm. things are a detail, some things like a a fundamental. For example, let's say that it's um, devotees who are in Grahasta Ashram. So they'll, they'll need some help. They're balancing work, they're balancing sadhana, they're balancing family life. So obviously that's something that we can do because, for example, the medium of giving a class, you can talk about anything in the class. So it's not that you're doing extra work you're going to be they're going to be coming to classes anyway right so it's like we can talk about anything why don't we talk about something that's relevant and krishna conscious okay Okay. same thing in another area they're going to be doing service anyway why not why not have them do service or why not make the service available at times where they can actually come to the temple and serve right i was thinking about one community because i i really see this point in terms of community outreach Someone, I, I I don't remember the full details, but there was a class I heard and they were talking about how some of the most successful communities are where rather than the temple staying, you know, temple devotees staying in the temple, then saying the congregation, they don't come, they don't do any service. The mood was the temple devotees go out to the congregation, inspire them where they are in their homes, appreciate what they're doing, where they are in their homes. Give them opportunities for service and leave them with such a positive experience that the congregation think, wow, my temple are really helping us. You know, they're really inspiring me, they're giving so much. And then what happens as a natural repercussion is in the congregation, because the temple went to them, now they're thinking, I I want to go to the temple and give something back. Right? So it's that it's that mirror effect. So in this sense, you would say that the temple are the leaders. So if I want the other people to to um, to make some endeavor to reach out and to serve then i should reach out and serve them first i want them to be humble okay so i should be humble first i want them to be tolerant so i should be tolerant first because the vedic conception of leadership is you're leading by example it's not it's primarily what we do and then what we say that's that's important but it's it's somewhat aligned with, with the activity but if i don't do that first then in one sense, why would I expect them to do it? I mean, they may out of their own volition, but that's still not leadership. Leadership is, I set the example. Leadership is we make the first move. Yeah.
1: That's so easy to say, I think, like that the first move in things, but to, to, to do that, it's hard on the ego.
0: It's really well, hard on the ego. I, I challenge that. It depends on what it is, right? So yeah. let's see, is it hard on the ego to go and do a house program at someone else's house? I don't think so. I think we have that in our communities anyway. But the right. point is that you're making the first move. Is it, is it hard on the ego to show appreciation for the service that someone else is doing, right? Let's say it's congregation members. We just go there. Look, We appreciate the programs you're doing. We appreciate how you're bringing up your children in Krishna consciousness. I don't think it has to be hard on the ego.
1: I, I guess I was saying in the context of being humble or yeah. admitting to one's mistakes as a leader, it's also difficult.
0: I guess it depends on the training and it depends on the association.
1: Yeah.
0: What we're yeah. looking for. I mean, unfortunately this is Kali Yuga. Oftentimes people have superficial relationships where if they're honest, they'll get shut down or it will be like, I'm going to use that against you. So, but I would say that that's not a real relationship. That's not a real friendship. Mm. But if we're a, if we are conscious enough to seek out real relationships where we can be vulnerable because the person that we're being open with is going to respond with compassion and encouragement, not condemnation, then it's a different thing. So I think it has a lot to do with the experiences that we have in life, because based upon that, we have a default paradigm, right? So it's like, okay, humility means I'm I'm going to be taken advantage of. Okay. Is that always the case? Does it have to be the case? Or is it that I, I try to be humble, and maybe I did it with people who weren't necessarily mature or, or even who they were mature, but just at that particular instance, they were going through something so they couldn't express compassion in the way that I expected. Mm. Right. And it does. And does that have to set the paradigm for all my experiences of being humble? Or is it that I recognize it's that person? But I, if I'm humble with this individual who is more mature, then I'm going to have a very, very different experience. Ultimately. The value in being humble is the value that comes to ourselves. And we have to understand what humility is. And Bhakti Taitamaaj often spoke about this. Many people think that being humble means you're going to be a doormat, but that's not real spiritual humility. If you look at Prabhupada, Prabhupada, he walks around like he's the emperor of the entire planet. <laughs> and I love it. But that's humility. I mean, look, if Prabhupada came to the West, it, could you imagine he comes to the West in the sixties and he's just kind of like, like this, you know, looking down, like, Oh, please excuse me. And, right no one's going to listen to that person no one's going to listen to him so his humility is actually what's best for service and therefore sometimes it's best for service to be really strong because that's what krishna wants and that's what's going to allow the mission to proceed so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a real and deep selfless consideration what's actually best not what looks nice not what people may think is humble but what's actually best for all concerned so There's right. a deep level of humility.
1: We talked about the relationship between leaders and their consist- constituents, so to say. But what about like from the bottom up? how How should that relationship look? What are the things that uh, constitutes like a healthy, um, you know, to to look at a leader to be in a relationship with a leader? Uh, maybe because sometimes I feel like personally I feel like. Maybe this person is not meant to be a leader, but they're in that position. They've been in that position for many years, and I wanna—I don't want to be like a jerk about it. I want to, like, you know, I want to be nice, and I want to have a good relationship. But so, how do how do you develop that, and what does it look like in a healthy way?
0: Yeah, I, I always think about this. That the basis of all relationships is appreciation. Yeah, and it's not a technique, right? So, the, what I mean by that, it's not like okay, say something. Flatter them, say something nice so that they'll you can build a relationship. No, it nice. should come from the heart. That means you observe them, you look for something that you that they do that you genuinely appreciate. Right? And only the thing that you see that you genuinely appreciate, that's what you tell them. Okay, Prabhu, you know, I really, I really appreciate the fact that you know you're making these sacrifices to serve, or I really appreciate the fact that you you went the extra mile for this person or that person. And so people can pick up if we really mean what we say and so if it, if it becomes like these kind of superficial techniques it's just like okay i i knew someone like that i was working in a previous company and there was this guy who worked there and it was just like oh really he's just he's coming up to you and he's just he's asking you how you are and how your weekend is and i'm looking at my watch thinking okay what do you want right just because it's just it's not it's not real but yeah. if we can get to the point where we notice people if we're conscious there's always something you can appreciate in in an individual and then you can build relationship now i'll be honest with you i'm not saying that we should blindly follow anyone because i don't believe in that but we should always respect people we should always appreciate that everyone is a devotee we should also and this is out of respect for ourselves we should discriminate in a way which is compassionate kind and caring towards ourself and others i've sometimes seen devotees and in the name of being so-called um, devotional they're just being sentimental and it's like you could see this person they're not you know they've got some kind of ulterior motive or agenda but you you think that because they're a devotee you know you can just you know give them your credit card details and everything's going to be okay it doesn't work like that <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and then something bad happens and it's like dude why did you give them that detail oh but but they're a devotee and you know he wears tea like it's like no come on that, that's not the philosophy mm. So we have to we have to discriminate but we can respect everyone and where you have opportunity build those connections with leaders that you that you really feel uh, you can trust that you have a resonance with and where you don't have the opportunity do the best that you can while being wise and being balanced That's the whole point. Do the best you can in every situation while being wise and balanced and things will ultimately be the best that they can be. Because there's also karma. There's also a karmic reason why we're in certain situations. And so there's also, and I think about this a lot, there's also the question mark, why is Krishna allowing me to be in this situation? What does he want me to learn? So it's not just they're good or they're bad. It's like, okay, maybe maybe they're good in so many areas and there's other areas where you can help them to improve right yeah so so it's not just them we're all responsible it's our movement it's not just oh there's these leaders and they need to change no no we we're all to, in this together yeah we should be doing what we can
1: yeah i see a lot like in the past you know whatever many many years now of 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 people not being able to work together whether it's two leaders or it's a leader and someone else and, um, and then we always hear like, you know, we should, we should learn to cooperate. You'll, you'll, you will show your respect for me by how you work together. Prabhupada said that, you know, at the end. And so when is it okay to be like, well, I'm going to hang up the towel here, or is it, I'm going to, I'm going to have to co we have to cooperate when, wh- what are the signs of, of co-op, cooperation is the right thing, or maybe going separate ways is the right thing.
0: I would say that there's a step before this. What I found to be incredibly inspiring in my own spiritual life is that rather than drifting into situations and then finding out it doesn't work, do the work up front. <laughs> right? So you're gonna, There's an opportunity to do service. Okay, who am I going to be serving with and what are they like? Do the, do, you know, so again, if you look at it in terms of Bhagavad Gita, mode of goodness, right? It Begins like poison and it's nectar in the end. That means it's work now and then you get the benefit later on. So I would say that that's the first thing to do. I, and then on that basis, also, another thing we can do is proactively look for those people that you want to serve with. Because you know, I'd love to serve with that person. I love the way that they do service. And it's, it's gone to a big place. Mm. I sometimes see people misuse this idea of, um, what, what is it, we should cooperate. What it means is that I'm gonna, I've behaved badly, I've got a bad reputation, but I want you to just tolerate and carry on working with me. <laughs> come on like really it would be better if the person was like look to be honest i have made mistakes i'm sorry i have a tendency to be like this you know and it has led to some difficulties in the past but i'm trying to improve maybe we can work together then then it's like okay at least the person's got some integrity but if you treat people like they're stupid you know people who are who are not so aware it may work but other people's like they have choices and if I see that you're you're trying to pull a spin on things, even though you've done something wrong, and I don't have to be, and, and there's many service opportunities in ISKON. You know, do the math, right? I'm not going to stay in this situation when there's when there's other opportunities where I can still serve because I'm cooperating. ISKON has millions of members, so yeah, we should cooperate together. Okay, but there's millions of members, so I can cooperate with many different devotees. There's so many projects going on right so we so we should take the responsibility that i as a leader i want to act and i should act in such a way that there's a good reason and it's a healthy thing for people to see okay it's a healthy option to to serve with this person that's my point so that's that's what i'd say it's not just okay when do we hang up but but on that point again because you did mention it the other factor is this is why it's good to have guides this is why it's good to be very honest it's good to be very prayerful because I've sometimes seen also that sometimes we're in a challenging situation, but it's because of our own consciousness. And therefore we may think, okay, it's challenging, I'm gonna go somewhere else. Okay, you go somewhere else, what happens? Same situation follows you. Right. And and what that says to me is, it means it's not the situation that needs to change, there's something about me I need to change. So I think it's also important to have that introspective angle, in, in, in all of in anything that we're doing because i've seen in my own life there's so many amazing experiences where krishna is trying to communicate through devotees through situations like you this is something that you can look at this is something that you can improve on so the first thing is what do i need to change what do i need to work on before moving from a, a personal situation there's always an opportunity to grow and to develop through the challenges so i think we should start there we should be proactive, and also we should um, we should do the, the homework. If we're going to move into a situation where we have op- opportunity and choice, find out what's the situation. And then even then, if it's not perfect, that, that doesn't mean we, we can't do it. Maybe, okay, it's got some potential, I'm going to get involved. But because I've seen the potential, and I've also seen where the challenges are, I'm going to get involved in a certain way. So it, it may be that, okay, this devotee who I'm going to serve with he tends to try and rinse everyone to get as much out of them as possible, but it's a good project. Okay, I'm going to get involved, but I'm just telling you up front, I've got this many hours. Right. Right. So I'm going to get involved, but these are the parameters. I've seen. I've wow. seen what goes on. Right. I'm going to get involved, but this is the time I, I actually have. Okay. So if yeah. that works for you, so it's it's setting the expectations up front, and we train leaders in that. That's one of the biggest things because otherwise we've all come from different backgrounds. Even our expectations of leadership, it may even be influenced by our parents. So if I, had, if I had parents who were really good authorities, I assume that the leaders are going to be like that because that's the samskar I have in my upbringing. If I have parents who are really negative, then I, then I already have a default negative impression of authority and leadership. And, and they're going to have to jump through hoops, even though they've done nothing wrong. But it's because of my own previous impressions. Hmm. So, yeah, it's some of the things to think about in that area.
1: That's really amazing. Yeah. Um, I did a podcast with Tukaram Prabhu from Laguna beach, uh, like a few months ago and something he said, he's an amazing leader. And something that he said that I really appreciated, uh, was that he wanted everyone in his kind of like his influence. He was, he, his whole idea was that everyone should win. Like he should just help people win around him. And I found that really interesting because I, I personally I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of um i guess influence in some ways to to devotees around me, but I never thought of it like that like I should just help everyone win so is that a, is that a like can someone who is not in actual leadership position like a formal leadership position isn't everyone like a bit of a leader in some Absolutely. way? Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about that. Like, because everyone has some kind of sphere of influence. And so it, it can apply to everyone, not just to what we're talking about in regards to, like, okay, a temple president or a GBC member or whatever, but everyone has that kind of leadership ability and a, a way, a, a, a potential.
0: Absolutely. Right? And to be honest, what happens in many cases like that is that those people who have that kind of potential, vision, initiative, they just go ahead and do stuff anyway. And they just have impact anyway. They're not. They, they're not waiting for someone to say. I, I was in some communities, and it was like the leaders are like this, the leaders are like that. And I was like, but why don't you just go ahead and do the project anyway? Why don't you just go ahead and do the 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 house program anyway? And it was right. amazing to me. It was like, oh, I could see that because that's not how I grew up in Krishna consciousness. Mm. We just take initiative and do all kinds of stuff. It was incre- It was just fun, and mm. I was thinking, wow, there's there's something about this person's paradigm that they they have this mindset that they can't do anything until someone says that they can do it. I was like, that's interesting. It's a completely different experience. From mine. And I'm not <laughs> negating their experience. I, I get it. It may, may be the way that that community works. But, yeah, it's very different.
1: Uh, so in regards to – was there any teachings uh, in regards to people helping? Like what does someone who is not in a formal – even, even not even doing like projects, so to say, or like a house program, but like just people who have friends, devotee friends. How can we help other people win? Like, what does that look like? That upliftment of others.
0: I think the first thing is example, mm, right? In Cali Yuga, what I've seen is people don't care about the cause; they care about the effect. So, if you're, let's say, in your circle of influence, if you're growing. Developing, inspired, enthusiastic people pick up on that energy. Then it's like, dude, what are you doing? How come you're so inspired and fired up? And you got the, you have this excitement and this enthusiasm in your spiritual life. What, what are you doing that I'm not doing? So then they pick up on the effect. Then it goes back to the cause. Okay, so I'll, this guy really really pays attention when he's chanting. Right? He really tries to serve. He really tries to create win-win experiences. He he tries to apply the philosophy practically and wisely right Mm -hmm. he doesn't jump into things blindly right mode of passion mode of ignorance he's he's selective but in a in a in a mature and devotional way about what he gets involved in and how he gets involved great because then just by seeing your example they trace it back to what you're doing and that's how many people learn they they just see okay this is working okay now i'm going to explore it and see why is it working and what can i learn from that now when you have that And then you start to share what you're doing, then it's got much more power because it's like, okay, I can take it seriously because I can see. And it's not. And when I say impact, I don't even mean projects. If you're actually inspired in Krishna consciousness, you're happy and it's not a one off. It's a consistent experience. People are like, wow, that's there's something here. So that's leadership because that's an example which is impacting other people in a popular way, in in a positive way, and inspiring them to grow and develop in their in their journey towards Krishna.
1: Mm. Amazing! I love that a lot. It's, it's it's so important, I think, for us to to as just friends of other other devotees to be that example and to that's a way to uplift people. Shifting gears a little bit, Prabhu. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about um. His only Bhakti Swami's way he applied Krishna consciousness by while still staying chaste to the teachings of Krishna consciousness, but also applying it according to time, place, and circumstance. If you can give some examples and kind of also describe the teachings there.
0: Absolutely. So he he meditate. I could see that he he meditated a lot on the audience. And it's interesting because I saw that parallel. So when Prabhupada came to America, he would he would examine and try to understand the mentality of the people to see how he can give them krishna consciousness in a way that's relevant consistent but at the same time true to the to the principles and that's really important we we see this in the world right now that there's increasing polarization for example and i don't mean this in terms of political parties but more in terms of mentality you know conservatives liberals even within our communities totally yeah yeah and, and it's not that one is bad or one is good it's a question of balance. Because I was thinking about this in terms of a framework. So you can have conservatism in the mode of ignorance, passion, or goodness. You can have liberalism in the mode of ignorance, passion, or goodness. Conservatism in the mode of goodness is more an emphasis on purity. Okay, so we wanna be, be chased, as you said, with, you know while keeping the, 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 the core tenets not changing the, the, to put it this way, it's, it's about not changing the active ingredients. Because wow. if you change the active yeah. ingredients, then no one's, then everyone's going to stay sick, right? So yeah. conservatism in the mode of goodness, it's an emphasis on purity. And there's even studies about how you can actually determine the mind, the, the mentality of an individual, whether they like to be conservative or liberal. There's studies on that. If you know what to look for, you can actually predict this person's a liberal. Right? Even before they've said anything, just watching the way that they behave, what their value system is, same thing for the conservatives. So if a devotee, it's conservative leaning, but it's in the mode of goodness. There'll be an emphasis on purity. But the great thing is, through the door of purity, if they're pure in, in not just in not just in form, but pure in content. That means it's the real heart of purity. Chanting with real sincerity, purity, it will be a doorway into compassion. Because if you're very pure, you it will you can't help but develop real compassion. And the other side is also true if someone is liberal and its liberalism in the mode of goodness that means it's a balanced liberalism which means it's compassion it's the liberal in the mode of goodness is a very compassionate person but what will that do my my wife she um she studied medicine right then she then she practiced uh, medicine as a doctor for some time so it's interesting because many people go into the medical profession because they are compassionate they want to help other people now If they want to help other people, and they've got a strong sense of compassion, it will then give them the inspiration to study, to really know medicine, so you can actually look after people. If your child is ill, and you go to hospital, or you go to see a doctor, and the doctor says, you know what, I really love your child, I really want to make a difference, I really care for them, I haven't actually studied medicine at all, but it's okay, because I've got lots of compassion, I, I really feel and care. You're not gonna let that person act on your child, because it's like, dude, you you're saying you have compassion but you're not compassionate enough to actually learn what you need to learn in order to actually look after people mm. so if if someone has a strong a, a deep compassion not superficial not just i'm emotional but i'm not prepared to make any sacrifice for anyone but if it's deep compassion it will inspire them to also qualify themselves with the purity so that they can fulfill that compassionate purpose so what we often have in our communities. It's not liberal versus conservative. It's when it's imbalanced, that's where the issue becomes. And then there's another piece. Some people have sam scars from previous lives. Let's say you have someone in their previous life, they were too liberal, they got burnt, and that was a cause of fall down for them. In this lifetime, they they they're very, they're very um, what's the word? They're very suspicious of anything on the liberal end of the spectrum not and they're not even conscious of it it's because the samskars there for them it means danger and in this lifetime it's better that they are a little bit more conservative leaning there's a place for that right as long as they don't get fanatical and then attack the other side right and same thing from the other angle so we have to we have to know the community is such the worldwide mission is such that as long as it's not offensive or fanatical there is room because there's some preaching places the conservative style works really well. <laughs> it works really well. And in like, other places- them
1: up, you know, like yeah, get
0: yeah. And in other places, you'll need to have a bit more of a broad angle in order to make it work. Yeah, Again, yeah. it's not one size fits all, but it must be the case that it's not done with offense. It's not fanatical. So conservatism in lower modes, it leads to rigidity, arrogance, a sense of superiority where I look down on other people liberalism in the lower modes, it becomes sentimentalism and relativism, where, you know, it's all one. It, yeah, it doesn't matter, yeah, Channing. yeah, if you feel like it, it doesn't matter because after all, it's just, you know, no, there, there are real tenants. Right. So it's not it's not that we go to extremes, but we actually try to understand how do we do this in a way which is balanced and chaste. And then what happens is also very, very interesting. If, if and Prabhupada talks about this in terms of being 100% strict with ourselves, 90% tolerant with other people. If if we are strict with ourselves, then it generates a certain level of purity, a certain level of spiritual strength, which allows you to, to hold a space for people who may not be necessarily as strict themselves. Because you're fixed, you can accommodate more people who are at different levels of practice, and but if but if I'm loose myself then it becomes difficult to have that accommodation. So it's not, it's not one or the other. Actually, the conservatism empowers the ability to be liberal. And the liberalism, if it's done properly, is supported by that, that, that fixedness in, in conservatism. So it's not one or the other. They're literally two sides of the same coin. I remember once, actually it was a day after we got initiated, So Bhakti Tirtamaj, he told us, he mentioned that, you know, he was talking about one of his god brothers and he said, he and I, we we can hardly agree on anything. He said, he said, but I respect him like anything because I respect how it takes different types of generals to win a war. And I really appreciate that. It's a very mature understanding. Yeah, this this person acting this way will attract a certain cohort of humanity and bring them up to Krishna consciousness. That will work for them. It may not work for this other group, They'll need a different type of, you know, general to bring them to Krishna consciousness. Again, as we become more mature, it doesn't become impersonal. It doesn't become what's good for me. Everyone has to do it, and if everyone does, if anyone doesn't do it the way that I like, I feel threatened or they're bad. No, that's not that's not our teaching. If you look, you can see Prabhupada. He was so powerful and so spiritual. He could attract so many different types of people. I mean, you just think about that. What kind of potency a person has to have in order to be attractive across the board to to the most liberal to the most conservative person who now becomes a devotee and is a follower and that's why also what will happen is when you see devotees speak about Prabhupada, they're often speaking about him through the lens of their own personality right so the ones who who have a certain nature what they pick up and what stands out to them are those aspects of Prabhupada that resonated with their nature. <laughs> then, yeah, you see the point. And yeah. Others, yeah, and that's why. And you see that with Prabhupada, his instructions—he can say he can answer the same question from completely different angles. He can answer it in a liberal way. He can answer it in a conservative way. It's very, very nuanced. So it's not, oh, but I'm following Prabhupada and these people aren't. Sometimes that's the case. Let's be honest, though, right? Sometimes it can go out. it can go off balance but in many cases they are following Prabhupada but from different angles of vision Mm. and according to time place circumstance and according to personality those aspects or that way of Krishna consciousness resonates with them works with them it creates a holding space for them to continually practice Krishna consciousness get purified and come to a high level of realization so what we're really looking at is the maturation It's not that one side is good or the other side is good. Any side in in a state of imbalance is bad. Mm. Yeah,
1: I love that story where he what he was talking about this God brother that he was didn't have anything to really agree with. Takes a lot of generals to win a war. That's so broad minded. Yeah, where does that is does that just come from like spiritual um, you know power of shakti or is it something that's learned because I can we can kind of learn also being broad mindedness, but that kind of broad mindedness as a leader, and and in, apply, in applying you know teachings of Krishna consciousness to the to the time, place, and circumstance, sometimes I feel it can get too it can get too much of a like it's an equation or something. Yeah. Like I'm exactly. going to try to find the perfect equation, and then people will be attracted to Krishna consciousness, or is it? I mean I personally think it's it's a lot more of shak bhakti shakti in the sense of like okay really didn't really like think too much about it he was just like okay I'm going to do I mean I'm sure he thought about it but I'm I'm just going to affect people's you know sitting at Tompkins Square Park and doing a like, Karinam changed the world you know as we know it you know so how much of his how much of it is a an equation and how much of it is one's purity
0: I think I, when you when you ask this question what comes to my mind is hari nunchan bhakti so he talks about tatashtha and Sarup lakshanam which i think is a very powerful model because many of the models in the scriptures they can be applied across the board right. so my understanding of it is that the root is the purity right the root is the bhakti shakti but at the same time tesham satatayuktanam Bajatam priti porvakam dadami buddhiyogam tam yena mam te so If there is that devotion, it will also inspire a certain level of intelligence and insight. Mm, Now, we also know that some people are more intellectually minded. So if that's the case, they have to engage that intelligence in Krishna's service. It's not just going to disappear. Right. So some people, the subtle body is such that the intelligence is a strong part of the subtle body. There's a seminar. That Bhakti Tirthamaj gave scriptural study and preaching. And he said, everyone should read. He said, but some of you, if you have a very strong intelligence, he said, and he was talking to the audience, said, which m- many of you do, he said, if you don't read, your mind will send you to hell, right? Because it, w- it will be so, it will be so, such a strong part of the subtle body, it needs feeding. Right. And therefore, therefore, they have to do it. And again, it's, it's maturity which helps us to understand. Yeah, everyone should read. But there's some people, they have a very strong intellect. So they have to do more of this just to give the mind, you know, some peace. Like, okay, you, you've, you've learned some new things now. And now I feel peaceful. And that's a way of purification. So this point about strategy, both things are required, purity and strategy. But the purity inspires a strategy, ideally. And the other side is also true. We can strategize as an offering to guru and Krishna. We can rack our brains. We can try and think, how do we fulfill Prabhupada's service? Aligned with the instructions and the example that he's given, aligned with the instructions he's given, the example he's given, and the mood as well. You see, all three things ideally should be there for it to have real potency. So, and then, and then within that, according to the service in the situation, for sometimes it will lean more on just a pure bhakti shakti. We're not going to strategize, we're just going to go out there, do something, see what happens. On other side, in other situations, in other services, the Bhakti Shakti has to always be there, but we may need to really carefully align this, organize this. We see that Prabhupada told Giriraj Maharaj, how will the movement go on when I'm gone? And Giraraj Maharaj said, you know, if we chant sincerely, and what did Prabhupada say? Organization and intelligence. What that means is, is it's a complete package. If if people are really deeply chanting, then you want to emphasize what they're not doing. So it's a complete package. If people are just thinking, I'm going to get it done because I've got this great technique and I've got this great strategy, but there's no purity. Then you emphasize the purity again to make it complete, because you you want both elements to be there to make it solid and to make it consistent. Wow,
1: amazing. Um, I would say another question is, how how do you feel about the future of Krishna consciousness? Uh, what are your insights in? What could be challenges and what are kind of our strengths?
0: Yeah, good point. I feel that I I just have this by nature. By nature, I'm always hopeful. I've I've got this very strong sense. The future's always, but it's, it's aligned to a few things. It's aligned to one, having tried to really over the years, really hear and try to understand, not just superficially, but quite try to understand more and more deeply the teachings. It's also aligned to a sense of, of agency, that and Dev talks about this point that the leader is primary, the king is primarily a man of action, not a man of fate or destiny. Meaning that I'm looking at it from the point of view of what can I do to influence the future positively, not the future set and I'm going to be the victim of the future. So I don't think like that. So I think that that's that's one of the key foundations for me in terms of my my view. Just so just to be very honest about that, I feel very hopeful. I feel very hopeful in the sense that I feel there's so much that we can try to offer. I see others who are able to offer so many things. I see, I see so many aspects of Prabhupada's teachings that if we just applied them, I mean we could it could make life so much easier. I'll give you one example that I've I'm I'm often thinking about. So I did this podcast, I did a few podcasts, I think it was 2020 actually, maybe been a while ago. But um one of the things that we looked at was this whole idea of natures. Right. So you know, we know that Prabhupada, as he was leaving the planet, he was giving a bit more emphasis to Varnashram. And there's different ways that people can institute that. I know that there will be some people focusing on farms, some people trying to inspire it in, in other ways. That's all good. My what I tried to do is try to understand more about my own nature. And this came from a very interesting experience I had. So my wife and I, we were on a coach and we were going to um, a retreat with Sachinanda Marj. And we were sitting on the journey speaking to him. And at one point he turned to me and he said, but Buddha Bhadana, do you know who you are? And it was just weird. It's just since that time, somehow or other, I just kept getting all this information in the scriptures, in classes, about nature, understanding oneself. And when I started to see that, I saw a few really amazing things. I saw that in many cases, devotees were doing really well because whether it was conscious or not, they were doing things in a way that they were well situated. For example, let's say someone is not so renounced, okay? So they're better situated in, in a grahasta situation and they're situated there. So, and this is what it's meant to do. It's meant to give the mind a certain level of material stability so that one is well situated in order to fight Maya from a position of strength. Prabhupada makes that point in the in Eighth Canto, Bhagavatam, Chapter 2, Text Number 30. It's a brilliant point. So, I was looking at that and I saw, wow, this is really interesting. Even sometimes, let's be honest, in Kali Yuga, relationships can be challenging. It may be that people grew up, they didn't see such a, a, a strong example of a harmonious family life from their own parents. Maybe their parents you know, split up, or whatever it is. So I also saw that devotees who married people, married someone who had a similar nature to them, it made life easier for them as well. They weren't under the illusion that you can be anything and you can just stretch. It's like you're living with another person. You're going to stretch day in, day out. It's going to be, it it takes some work. So if there's a similar nature already, then, okay, it's going to be a stretch anyway, right? Because men and women are different. But it's not, it's not, the stretch isn't a stretch of a hundred miles. It's a stretch of 10 miles. Okay. And then therefore, because you're not stretching all the time, you have more mental and emotional resources to also give to your Krishna consciousness, to your services as well. It's not like, oh my God, I just need to get out of here and I need to kind of recuperate and recharge because the, the situation I'm in on a day-to-day basis is so much work. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm tremendously hopeful. I think that there's huge opportunity to show people how to apply so many things that Prabhupada has given. Not that it, it just makes life easy. It's not quite like that, but it sets one up to be in a position of strength that's my point right and of course that position of strength is also mitigated by the karma we don't know what karma we have okay great so what can i do okay so you do the best you can in the situation that you're in and then hey krishna I, you know i'm, I'm gonna i leave the rest to you Right. but man. i think in many cases we don't set ourselves up so well i can see that there'll be some devotees someone needs to tap them on the shoulder and say okay I see where you are in your life. You, sh- you should start now thinking about where you're going to be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, and start preparing for that. So that you're in a good space 10 years from now, because if if they don't have that training and if they, let's say they came from backgrounds where they didn't see that example from their elders, what's going to happen? We've seen this before. They get to that point and it's like the institution didn't look after me. Mm. And sometimes it's like, well, the institution's struggling itself. So. You understand what i'm trying to say so
1: yeah.
0: it, it's that forward thinking which is really the mode of goodness it's understanding where am i now where are we going and how and what do i need to start to pull in place now so that when we get to that particular point we're also set up nicely to be in a position to serve to the best of our ability
1: can you give <laughs> like an, a practical example of that
0: yeah, yeah. so retirement right so the devotees yeah. are going to retire okay great so you're, you're planning to retire at a certain point. Okay, so if you're gonna retire, how are you gonna maintain yourself? What's gonna be the setup for retire? Oh, I, I wanna to go to Vrindavan. Okay, you know you're gonna to have to pay money to live there, right? Like, do you, have you figured out what you need? Facility-wise, are you gonna get a place there? Like, what do you need to maintain yourself? And let's start planning that now, so when you get to that particular point, you have those things in place. Now, devotees can say, oh, but, you know, I'm gonna rely on Krishna. I
1: think <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> what
0: does that mean practically?
1: Yeah.
0: Going back to what we said earlier, relying on Krishna means also that Krishna can give you the intelligence. Dude, this is what you need to pull in place so that when you're at this age, you can you can be there. Because right. Krishna also gives intelligence. It's not that relying on Krishna means that I'm neglectful. That's a yeah. misunderstanding. Sometimes we see the philosophy through the lower modes. So that the same words on the page, we misread them. And it's not the words on the page that's the issue. It's that because I'm in a lower mode, I'm distorting the teachings and I'm calling it surrender, but actually it's ignorance. It's a lack of being conscientious. It's a lack of being practical. And then if anything goes wrong, then, you know, Krishna didn't look after me. No, no. He told you through the devotees, arrange like this so that you can be in this situation.
1: Did Bhakti Did, did Bhakti Maharaj ever speak about the future, future generations, what he saw in the future, what challenges or what? Uh, Good things where there were.
0: Yeah, he had a huge hope in the future generation of youth. He he was really, he really wanted to empower the next generation. He saw that they had great potential. He he saw, and I've seen that they're very intelligent young people. Energy they've got a certain shakti to them. You can kind of see, like, wow, these these they're, they're not they're not normal young people. But at the same time, we do have challenges. In some cases, what's happened is, you know. Our previous generations, in the in the spirit of outreach, there may not have been so much stability on on certain levels, right? So again, no disrespect to anyone. Everyone's done tri- you know fantastic service to really set up the next generation in so many ways. But we need to be very conscious and see, okay, where are the gaps? Okay, where where are the next generation? What do they need? And if 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 the seniors are able to focus in that way, and again, it's not for everyone. I don't believe in that. Okay. If it's the service of some seniors who are good with that next generation, who can relate to that next generation, who can inspire that next generation, it's not that everyone has to do every service. It's get the right people on that service who are equipped or or inspired to equip themselves to do that. And it's also about having a dialogue with everyone. It should be part of of a mutual dialogue and the lessons or mistakes of the previous generations should be passed down to the next generation so that they don't make the same mistakes even my parents not that they're they're not practicing christian consciousness from a christian background but even i mean they told me that years like when i was young it's just like whatever whatever they learned whatever they the it's just all set up for the you know for us and that's that's a healthy generation to generation relationship you know but it requires it's two way actually it requires two things shelter and surrender so seniors are meant to provide shelter but in order to achieve that shelter properly the juniors are meant to honor that seniority and surrender not blindly again not blindly right but in a in a wise and healthy and balanced way but then it's a mutual loving exchange right where we receive that compassion that guidance from our seniors and we also give them respect reverence and appreciation for everything that they've been through everything that they've done in order to give us a situation that we have now where we have access to this Krishna consciousness
1: right amazing um I think a per for you personally I see like you're you have certain intense you have this certain intensity in krishna consciousness the way you speak you were speaking you told me you were speaking even today earlier another class and i'm sure classes every day or so what what fuels that what fuels you in your intensity of of express expression expressing krishna consciousness and and just practicing krishna consciousness i'd like to know that
0: i'd say there's so many things actually i i was very lucky in my Throughout my Krishna consciousness, actually, to have so much, really powerful association,
1: I don't know. really powerful. Can you still hear me?
0: I can still hear you. I can't I see way. you though.
1: I don't know why I'm gone. Hold on.
0: <laughs> okay, but um,
1: yeah. Please continue. Yeah. Sorry.
0: I had so much powerful association with so many, you know, really not just senior but advanced um devotees, mm-hmm. and um that really. it it just it really sets something in my heart that just has always been going on and so that's one thing so many positive experiences as well in krishna consciousness internal experiences external experiences yeah so i always have a sense of of the magic of krishna consciousness that's i I always had that sense but there's always some kind of um miraculous experiences opportunities reciprocations from krishna and it's just like this stuff works yeah it really does work and and so for me it's a question of just finding ways to take to to receive more of what's available and and what i would say again practically is look for that higher association and it's not a question of okay we're we're in this location and we don't see anyone like this or like that it's so important, and, and Krishna wants to see that we really want it. So we have to go out for it. Yeah. Don't wait for it to fall into your lap. Whatever yeah. we want, we should take it. But actually, if I want to be Krishna conscious, I want to go and seek out. And whether it's on a Zoom call, whether it's going to, you know, Mayapur or, or Vrindavan, going for Kartik, whatever it is, make the endeavor. Make the endeavor to go and, and get that mercy. Don't wait for it to fall into your lap. And if you get that, this association is the single most important factor in a devotee's spiritual life. I remember you and I, we spoke about this many years ago. I remember you were telling me after you stayed at the Bhakti Center, you made a conscious choice to really connect with your spiritual master and so on. And I know it really helped you in so many yes. ways. Yeah. Yes. But I also see that many devotees, th- there's a misconception that spiritual life is something that just happens to you. So it's like I'm going to stay in one spot. And if and if no one comes and, and picks me up, and if I don't, if the if the advanced association doesn't drop in my lap, then is, there's something wrong. It's like no, that's not how it works. Because ma- the material energy, she will make a, a point to say like, why don't you stay? Just you're okay. I mean, you're chanting. You know, you know about Krishna. You've read the Bhagavad Gita it's more than most people. So you know, you're you're all right. You don't need to do so much. It doesn't work that way. We have to we have to be soldiers. Amazing. Looking for it. And then the last thing on that go looking for it and then when it's there be receptive because it, we it, it's one thing to be or uh, be around the devotees and to understand that they're devotees but not to honor them properly not to appreciate them properly not to hear them properly and that's also a problem because then you don't get the full blessing that they can give yeah so, yeah
1: well, I. This is a fantastic conversation, Bhutabavana Prabhu. I always am in awe when I hear you speak, and when I interact with you, I feel so much love, and I feel so much um, concern, and so much um, uh, wisdom from you. And I and I thank you so much for for. Doing this, and I hope that we can do another one on a specific topic. I know this one was on leadership, and His Holiness Bhakti Tiru Swami, which which uh, we can keep churning. Um, but I think even in regards to any kind of specific topics. So, anyone who's listening, if you have any specific topics you'd like to, uh, you know, ask Buda or like us to talk about, please put it in the comments. But um, that was really amazing, and I and I really appreciate you and and your, our friendship. Even though we're not so connected, you're you being in England, I always feel like this <laughs> brotherhood and yeah, uh, just care.
0: Just a quick shout out. So, also with Bhakti Tia we've been making the books available on Amazon. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, because yeah, what would happen is people would, would say, oh, you know, one of these books, but I can't find them. So we've got virtually all the books. We're working on the last three of the four beggar books to get them on Amazon. But they're on Amazon now, so you can go on Amazon anywhere around the world, virtually anywhere around the world, America, Europe, et cetera, and yeah. you can just order the books and they'll just send it to your location. And if anyone, and we're doing many different projects in relation to, you know, trying to share that that offering on behalf of Srila Prabhupada, because we're all one family. We have our different spiritual, you know, fathers and so on, but we're all joined together under Prabhupada. And Bhakti Maharaj would really want that emphasized. It's mm. it's one global family. He told me actually, after we got the day after we got initiated, he said that your relationship with your father is a special relationship. He said, but there are some things you can learn better from your aunts and your uncles than you can from your own father. And mm. I really that really left an impression in my heart because I saw throughout my spiritual life. That I had so much association with my spiritual aunts and uncles, and they're all revered Vaishnavs. They're all great personalities. And we're so lucky to be part of this extended family. Definitely. So we have many different projects in that in that regard. And just a few things that I'm also doing. So if anyone's interested, we're always happy to engage people and, and connect with people. So if you're inspired and want to find out more, um, I think my I sent my, my details to you, Nam Russ. So you could put that up my email. And also you can connect with me on Instagram because I'm just throwing a few things out on Instagram yeah. as well. So feel free to check that out too.
1: For those of you who are just listening to the audio here, it's uh, Das at gmail.com. And um, his Instagram handle is at edanoba, E-D-A-N-O-B-A-H. You can find him on Instagram. He's also on Facebook, I believe. Yeah. Um, you can find him there as well. Get in touch with him about the different projects and whatnot. But Bhavadabhu, thank you again for joining thank me. You. I really, really appreciate it. Really Good
0: beautiful. You, Take care.
1: Yeah. Um, stay on. I'm just going to turn off the uh the live. Do you, any, Anything else? Did you want to? Okay. All right. So, Hare <laughs> Krishna, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna,